everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Soba. Busy Living Soba. So you just have me today. I don't have anybody here with me. And I am going to answer some of the questions that I've received through the years. And my first question that I have that is from Sally from Tennessee. She asked me, what do you do when you feel like you drink too much? But then she asks her friends and they say that she doesn't have a drinking problem. Isn't that funny? It's um, it's crazy because I have to say before I got sober, I always would ask my friends like, oh my gosh, do you think I have a drinking problem? Do you think I have a drinking problem? And my friends would answer, no, I don't think you do. I think you're totally fine. I'm like, okay, well, what did I do last night? Because again, I think a lot of people who've been listening to my podcast, or if you're a new listener, I constantly used to be a blackout drinker. It was never that I went and had just one drink. I always had 47 and I always blacked out and I never remembered. So whenever I'd wake up the next day after going out drinking, I would call a friend And I remember I'd call a friend and I'd be like, so what did I do last night? Now, a lot of my drinking was, you know, it's, I've been sober for 13 years. So this is a while ago and there weren't cell phones like there are today at least. And there weren't these iPhones where you could go and you could look at your history and all the rest of it. So a lot of it was like, I'd wake up the next day and I'd be like, oh my God, what did I do? What did I say? Oh my God, I think I did something wrong. Or I felt, I always woke up the next day to bring this to Sally, I always woke up the next day going, oh my God, I feel like I drink too much. Like, why is it every time I go out, I black out? Why is it every time I go out, I wake up the next day not knowing what I did? Do I have a problem? Oh my gosh, do I have a problem? Is this one an alcoholic? Because my idea of what an alcoholic was, was somebody who literally carried their bottle in a bag, in a brown paper bag, and they lived underneath the freeway. Or they would be somebody who um, was homeless or someone, not somebody who lived in a house or who had kids, who drove a car, who lived in a nice neighborhood. That was never my idea of what an alcoholic was. My alcoholic was somebody who was downtrodden and been like been, had like hit their rock bottom. That was my idea of what an alcoholic was. I did not think an alcoholic could be somebody who would go out and drink too much every time they went out. That was not my idea. My idea was like, oh, you know, you, you to be an alcoholic, you'd have to be downtrodden. And that is not the case. You can be an actual member of society. You can actually have a car. You can have a job. You can have a spouse. You can have a kid. You can have all many kids. You can have all these material items going around around you and still be an alcoholic. Because I know that when I ingested alcohol, I knew that I would go to this place that I always woke up the next day going, oh my God, I hate myself. Now, I might not drink now because I hated myself that night. But every time I drank, I'd have the same results where I would wake up going, what did I do? What did I say? Who did I hurt? That was enough for me to realize I had a problem. And I know that that's scary because it seems like, well, wait a minute, everybody's doing that. So I, of course, called my friends that drank just the way, just like I did, to ask them if they thought I had a problem. And those friends always came back to me saying, no, you're fine, you're fine, you don't have a program. 
I mean, you, you don't have a problem. You're fine. You're fine, busy. Give me a break. We just had a lot of fun last night. You didn't hurt anybody. Who cares? You fell down like 12 times and <laughs> you spilled a drink on somebody. You, um, you couldn't drive your car even though you really wanted to. I mean, all those things. So I actually was going to a group of people who were just like I did, drank the same way I did, and asking them, them if I had a problem, and their answer was always no. But I knew intuitively, Sally, that I had a problem. I knew inside of me. That's why I kept asking people, because I already knew. I feel like if we're already asking that question, then the answer's there, and we already know in our hearts what it is, and it's probably that we drink too much, fortunately or unfortunately. But I think that finding out and realizing we have a problem is like the first step to like having a better life. Because once we acknowledge we have a problem, then we can do something to fix it. But if we stay in the problem and we keep doing it and doing it and doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, it's called insanity. So I totally get wanting to have our friends to acknowledge what we're doing and saying, oh my gosh, yes, you're drinking too much. And but sometimes we don't need the other people's um, acknowledgement to make us know what we know in our hearts, which is that we were drinking too much. So I hope that helped answer your question, Sally from Tennessee. Okay, my next question that was out there was from Linda. And she's from Illinois. And she asked, well, what if I am an alcoholic and I'm social? Like, I I'm social and I can't imagine not going to a party and not going out with my friends. I can't imagine that. But I know that every time I go out with my friends, I get drunk. So what should I do? Okay, this is another thing I could relate to, Linda. I mean, it's interesting. When I, um, again, when I was realizing that I had a problem and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm a very social person. How am I going to be in life without drinking? Because that's what everybody does around me. That's what all my friends do. We go out, we go to parties, we go to functions, we go to benefits, we go, you know, we, anything we did, like, I swear when I, I can tell you this, when my kids were little, I would keep, you know, we'd have play group and I'd bring out drinks. Like I kept flavored vodka in the freezer so that when the kids, when the kids were out playing, we could have our drinks. And, um, so when I knew I got, I can totally relate to you, Linda, because I knew that when I was getting sober, I was like so scared because I was like, how am I going to be social and not drink? How am I going to be able to do life with that? And so let's see, how did I do it? From the beginning, I was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to be social and not drink? Okay. So I knew I'd heard of these 12-step groups, even though it was the last thing I ever wanted to do. I have to tell you, I, it was the last thing I ever wanted to do was the 12 steps. But I knew I needed to be with like-minded people that didn't drink, but then were still fun, right? So it's like, where am I going to find the people that don't drink but still like to have fun? Because let's face it, the recovering alcoholic still has the same personality inside. They just don't have the drinking. So that was number one. So I thought, all right, I'm going to go to a 12-step meeting. Now, let me tell you, I was more scared to go to a 12-step meeting than I was to have babies, get married, um, do anything. It was more scary to me to get sober than it was and to go to a, my first 12-step meeting than it was to do anything else. 
does that make any sense to the people that are listening? Because I can tell you this, Linda, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm walking to a place, walking into a place that I have no idea what it's like. And it kind of scares me because I've heard of this thing and I'm just going to say it AA. And that would really scare me. I was like, those people are weird. Those people are strange. Those people are crazy. Who are those people? They're really anonymous and they go into church basements and they don't talk to anybody about it and they're secret and it's so weird. To me, I was like, what is that? And a lot of it made me scared. I have to say, a lot of it, the total unknown of it was really scary to me. But I think the thought of keeping drinking was even scarier because I was getting myself in situations that were really scary, like driving my car with my kids in it after having too many drinks that I should have been driving. That scared me enough that I realized I have to do something different. I have to go and get help. I have to go. But I, I don't want to do this by myself because, again, I like people and I want to have fun and I want to be around other people. So that kind of trumped my fear, the reality that there were other people there that I was going to be willing to meet new friends. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to this and I'm going to see what it's like. And that's what I did. I went, I saw what it was like. I took the time and I went and I was willing to be, I was willing to be honest and I was willing to be vulnerable. Does that make any sense? You know, Linda, I was willing to be vulnerable. I was willing to have people, I was willing to make new friends that maybe I had never seen before or people that I had seen before that I had no idea were sober. Um, I was willing. I was willing. So that social, that need to be around people trumped my fear that I had of being like, oh my gosh, what are these people going to think of me? And what is this place? I wanted to make friends more than I was scared. Does that, I hope that makes sense and I'm answering your question. But um, it's there are people out there that are sober and that are fun because if you think about it, you know, uh, you're a drinker and you're fun. So that fun that you have inside of you is not going to go away just because you put down the drink. I can promise you that. You will still be fun. You're just not going to be falling down like I was or crashing into cars or doing whatever we do when we're in our drinking. You're going to be you which is a huge gift. Thanks again for the question, Linda. My next question is from George. And his question is, what's up with meetings? What is up with these meetings? What are these meetings and what is it about? Okay, George, uh, here we go. Um, A 12-step meeting is, for one, it's a group of people who have a, the common denominator of um, a AA meeting is that you have to have, well, you don't have to have, maybe you want or are investigating the idea of not having alcohol in your life, not wanting to drink anymore. That's what a meeting is. It's a group of people who have this same common wants and want, which is to be able to go through life without having to have to drink. And meetings are, there's all different kinds of meetings. There's, um, there's meetings that are for whatever your sexuality is. Um, if you just want to go to meetings for just women or just men, if you want to go to gay meetings, if you want to go to 
transgender meetings. There's all sorts of kinds of meetings that are out there. And they're a common place for people to go. And a lot of times they're in church basements and people might say, well, why are they in church basements? Well, the real reason they're in church basements is because churches tend to give their space freely, meaning they don't have to pay a lot of money to rent the space. A lot of times churches give the space away for free. And um, so it's a place for people to go and meet and the space is free and it's safe and it's clean. And lots of times they have coffee pots that they're willing to let us use and they're willing to let us use their kitchens. And so it's a place to go. And in a meeting, um, there can be anything. You only need two people really to have a meeting and there can be upwards of hundreds of people, depending on where the meeting is and what city you're in and um, what time the meeting is. And I can tell you this, um, an anonymity is one of the foundations of the program, meaning that the anonymity piece means that you don't, you don't give your last name. You just give your first name. So, um, I'm Elizabeth and I'm an alcoholic and no one has to know my last name. Um, a lot of people don't know my last name and that gives you the anonymity piece. Um, you can, if you want, tell people your last name and there, I've heard it many times that people announce their entire name. That's up to you. But the anonymity gives you a, 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 um, a little bit of safety of knowing like, oh my gosh, I don't, these people are going to know me. They can look me up in the phone book or they can know, they can um, uh, contact my employer, which of course nobody wants anybody's employer to know what they're doing. So um, a meeting should be a safe place where people are going to, um, where hopefully they're going to help you feel welcomed and they're going to you know, give you some love and some guidance and show you how they get, you know, sober one day at a time. That is what I have found in meetings the whole time is a place that's actually really safe. Um, I've always felt safe there. I don't know. I can be myself and I can be really honest and, um, I don't feel judged and, um, it's really, really nice. I actually find a lot of people that have a lot of love to give and a lot of time, a lot of patience. Um, you know, George, it's a really, it's a great place to go to. And I know in the beginning, it's a really scary place to go. And I mentioned that in my earlier talk when I was just addressing Linda, but George, it is scary to go to your first meeting and, um, raise your hand and introduce yourself. And, uh, you don't necessarily have to say that you're an alcoholic unless you really want to. Um, I always say, you know, do what you feel right in your heart and, uh, eventually, um, eventually you'll get there. And, um, I, I have to say this, um, there are a lot of meetings, especially if you live in a major city. There's, I, I know in New York, I know in Philadelphia, I know where I am in Florida. There's, you know, so many meetings a day. It's not even funny. I mean, there's not probably, I mean, you could go to probably fill your entire day going to meetings. And so if you go to one and you don't like it, don't give up until, don't give it up. Don't give up. Keep going till you find a place that you feel comfortable in. Because I promise you, you don't like every restaurant you go to. You didn't like every bar you went to. And um, it's the same thing with meetings. You have to give yourself a chance to keep checking them out till you find the right place. Hope that answers your question, George. Thanks so much. And then I have a question from Mike from Texas. Hi, Mike. Mike said, I don't believe in God. Hmm. And what does God do? So you don't believe in God. What is God? What is God? 
And I think that's a really good question, Mike. Thank you. Um, and thanks for having the courage to tell me you don't believe in God. I think that um, God can be an acronym, which is good orderly direction. Um, it can be a group of drunks, just to name two acronyms. You know, dog spelled backwards is God. Um, <laughs> if you didn't know that, it's kind of crazy, but it's true. Um, and God can be anything you want it to be. I know a lot of people that are really religious believe that God, if you're Catholic, you believe that God died on the cross and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and the rock was moved and there was no more body. Um, if, you don't have to believe that to believe in God. I think that God can sometimes be the wind. God can be a doorknob. God can be a tree. God can be whatever you want God to be. I don't think that we have to judge ourselves so much on putting a precise example of it. I know this. I was raised, um, my mom's Irish Catholic and my father's Jewish. So they have two different kind of a little bit, uh, they're very similar, but they have a little beliefs on what uh, God and um, what happened and the stories. So for me, um, I'd been raised though going to Catholic church. And so I went to Catholic church and I was really scared of what God was because there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of, it was kind of scary. It was like, if you do this, you're going to go to hell. And hell sounded like a place I did not want to go to. And, um, but it was very scary and very dark. It felt very dark to me. I don't know if anybody's listening could relate to that, but I really felt dark and it felt very ominous and scary. So for me to really figure, figure out what is God and for me, God is love. God is trust. God is, um, the way you feel when you look at your kids. God is when you look at somebody you really love. God is hope. God is faith. Um, I could talk about God forever and ever. I, I love having a God. Um, I, to describe what it is, is really hard in words. Um, because it's more than it's feelings. It's that sense that I'm not alone. It's the sense that somebody's got a bigger plan than I could ever imagine for my life. It's the sense that there's something out there bigger than me, that it's everywhere. I don't have to go to a place that's filled with bricks and mortar to go there, meaning a building. It could be anywhere. And, you know, sometimes it's someone who's passed away. I mean, a lot of people who's been following me for a long time know that three of my best friends have died since I've been sober and um, I haven't had a drink because because of them dying, but it gives me a sense of hope and love to know that they have died and gone to a better place. And that's with God. And you might think that I'm delusional thinking this, but it gives me a sense of peace that there is a heaven and that God has a plan that's bigger than I could ever imagine. And if I turn my will over to him each day, that my life's going to be amazing. And it has been. And it's just, it's a warm in my heart. It's the um, sense I see things happen in my life. And I'm like, is it a coincidence or is it a God wink? And a God wink is like knowing that I'm on the right path. 
You know, I want to know that God's there by a burning bush or a neon light that says, go this way. But if I really get quiet and I hear and I pray, God shows me. He shows me where I'm supposed to go. And um, it's a willingness in your heart. It's just a willingness to say, okay, I'm going to believe in something that I can't see. I can't touch. I can't smell. And I can't feel. But I know that I'm not alone. It's a sense that it's like it's going to be okay. Like, I, how have all these miracles happened in my life? Like, how do I have this amazing life? Is it because of me or is it because I've just turned my will over? I'm going to end with this question, Mike, with, you know, um, if you hear a lot of famous people speak and they see how things happen in their lives, it's never really something that they've worked. I mean, sometimes hard work pays off, but a lot of times it's like, People say, well, I was in this place and this person came up to me and presented something and it was a miracle that it happened. How did that happen? How did that person find me right there, right then? Sometimes the explanation for that miracle is God. It's that simple that it's God. It's not you. It's, you know, it's, it's a miracle. And miracles to me can be God, if that helps you at all. I hope that helped you. Um, I know that if you um, if you let go of your expectations and you let go of your ego and you just say, all right, I'm just going to trust today and just see what happens. If you do that um, for a little bit of time, I, I just say 90 days. Um, see how you feel after those 90 days. Say, I'm just, I'm just going to be open to the idea that God's going to be whatever. If it has to be your car, if it has to be your lamp, if it has to be the wind, if it has to be this, uh, the clouds, whatever it has to be, just having faith in that today and doing that one day at a time for 90 days. And let me know how you feel after that. I'd be really interested to see how you feel because, um, I think that you might change. And, um, if you're open and willing to change, um, then I think you might see something if I hope that helps you. I really do. Thank you again, Mike, for that question. Um, that was Mike in Texas. And my last question, I think for today, cause I've gotten really deep here is letting go. And that is from Barbara in California. Barbara wrote to me, what does it mean to let go? I can tell you this. I can tell you the meaning of a lot of things. And my, where I believe Barb, where it gets, or Barbara, sorry, um, where I feel like it gets real for me is not knowing the definition of a word or definition of a saying. It's what it feels like. So what does it feel like for me to let go? Um, for me to let go, okay, the first one I'm going to start with, the first um, analogy I can give you, our example of what it means to let go. When we were in high school, I don't know if everybody out there had this in high school in America, but I had this. Um, when you went to gym at one point and you had to do that fall, you'd fall back to your friends. Like you had to stand there and they're going to do, they would say do a free fall. And you'd have to be like, oh my gosh, I have to free. I, like I have to trust the person standing behind me to catch me. I'm going to really do this, right? I'm going to fall backwards. I'm going to fall back and that person is going to catch me. That's letting go. 
that's letting go. That's what it feels like to let go. It's like, okay, I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go. Another way of letting go to me is like a little kid. We put a little kid in a car seat and we give them a fake steering wheel. And them figuring out, like they're trying to move, right? Maneuver the car of where they want it to go. Pretend, pretend, pretend. They've got this fake steering wheel. That's what letting go means to me. We all have steering wheels in our car. And yes, they're going to take us if we want to go down route, whatever, in California. Or if we're going to go down route, whatever, on the East Coast or in the Midwest. We're going to go on 70. And we're going to be driving down the road. And we're going to steer our car. But we don't know what's going to happen. What's going to jump in front of us. What could happen? Because there'll be a car breakdown next. Like there's so many things. So letting go. To not knowing is what letting go feels like. To feel like to let go is, and to let go, most importantly for me, Barbara, is like staying in the moments. If I can let go of an outcome or an expectation, I can let go, right? If I don't have an expectation, then I I don't have any, there's not, there's no, there's nothing involved with how I'm feeling at that moment, right? So if I don't have an expectation, I can just be. If I don't have an expectation, I can really truly be in the moments. I can really truly let go if I don't have an expectation. If I don't have an outcome of what I want something to look like or something to be like at the end of the day, I can let go. But that means getting my ego out of it. Like I just do something for the sake of doing it. There's no real outcome. There's no real expectation. So I can let go. It's really hard to let go. I can tell you that letting go, um, I can let go of a lot of um, material stuff, of friends stuff, of even spouse stuff. The hard part is letting go of my kids. Um, I have a very hard time letting go that everything's going to be okay and trusting. And it's taken me many, many, many years to get to this place that I feel like it's okay, that my kids are okay. Like I can let them go and everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. That took a lot of time. And with them all way at school in different places, it's really hard, right? I have to let go and know that they're going to make good choices because I get it, did a good job raising them. Was I perfect? No. But, um, you know, I did a good job raising them. And I've got to let go of whatever's going to happen. And I have to trust. And back to George's question, God, you know, um, I mean, Mike, sorry, sorry. Um Knowing that there is a God and trusting in that uh, just helps me let go. So I guess I really have to find a God of whatever understanding I have of that. Something bigger than me, higher power, spirituality, something that's bigger than me that I have to trust in, which then entails, lets me let go. Thanks so much for the question. So as the people that are listening can hear, I'm doing something different. Um, If you have a question for me, if you have a question for yourself and you feel stumped and you're like, I don't have anybody I can talk to. I feel like I want to be honest with somebody and I don't have anybody to be honest with. Write to me. I promise. I will. uh, If you want me to announce your name and where you're from, I will. And if you don't, I don't have to. I can make up a name. 
Um, let me know. That's the new thing Busy Living Sober is going to talk about. We are going to, I'm going to answer your questions. I'm going to help you get to the place so that you feel safe, that you can reach out and you have that question inside of you burning going, oh my God, what am I going to do? What does this feeling I have is so horrible. I feel like I need to quit drinking, but how do I do it? I promise I will respond to you. I will respond to you. I promise. I promise. I will try to do it next week. If I don't have to, I know I have a couple that I already have to answer for next week, but please reach out to me and um, you can reach me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y at busylivingsober.com. That's B-U-S-Y living, L-I-V-I-N-G, sober, S-O-B-E-R, Dot com. Go to my website also, busylivingsober.com. You can send me questions on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. I'm Elizabeth Chance Fegley, F-E-G-E-L-Y on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. You can go to my website again at busylivingsober.com with any questions, any comments, any thoughts. Please reach out to me. Please, please, please. Um, I'm going to do this new thing and just answer you myself until I get somebody in here that wants to help me go online with. I thought I'll just do it on my own and um, I'm never alone as I mentioned earlier. And I want, if you're out there and you're listening and you're like, I feel so alone. I have this addiction and I just, it's killing me. Please know that reach out to me and know that you can get just one more day, just one minute. If you have to do it one minute at a time even seconds at a time. You can do it. You can do it. You are not alone. You are not alone. Don't let your ego tell you that you are alone because you are not alone. I promise you, I don't even know you, but you are not alone. I am here. I am sending my good juju and my good vibes to the listeners out there. I am sending you my hope, my love, my everything that you can get this because I promise you, Life is so much richer without alcohol and drugs. It just is. It just is because guess what? You get to fall in love with you and it allows you to be a better you and you have a better life that's just amazing. So until next week, again, know that you're not alone. Don't listen to those lies in your head. And until next week, keep getting busy living sober. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.